Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we have prayed in song that your Spirit would descend upon us, that He would come and take your Word and guide our hearts in it. Father, as we have read of the different soils upon which the Word falls, Lord, that song calls us to recognize the need of Your Spirit to bring us to be the proper soil. Father, everything we do today is dependent upon Your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, send Him in full measure. Help Him, Father, have Him help us to recognize and to see that You are present in this place. And may we, as we see the glory of Your Son, as we see Your glory described for us in Your Son, Lord, that we would not look at that and then turn away to lesser things, but that it would be the sight, the vision that enraptures our eyes as we walk throughout this world, that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus that we would look unto Him, the author and finisher of our faith, who through His redemption purchased us as a people for His own possession and seeks to make us more like Himself as Your Spirit works in our hearts. So Lord, work in our midst as only You can. We pray this in Christ's precious name, pleading His blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, and I was, I was too, too, uh, too adventurous here with the size of how I made this PowerPoint this morning, like I, I shrunk, the, I shrunk the, uh, the screen a little bit smaller, and so when I went to read the scripture, the, the, the call to worship, I'm like, I can't see this, so I guess... I guess 41's really hitting hard again. So <laughs> We're looking at these last verses in 2 Peter chapter 3 as Peter is giving us principles for the pilgrim's path. And we talked about the necessity of remembering or going by basic principles. Uh, this happens and occurs in, in a number of different areas in our lives, whether it be sports, whether it be our jobs, whether it be any number of things we do, we want to keep to the basics. We want to have the basic principles in operation in our life so that we would be successful in what we're called to do. And so last week we saw that we're called to, first of all, walk with diligent obedience. And so look with me in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, which he speaks of in verse 13, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom of given him. And so we saw how we need to be eager or diligent to have obedience before the Lord, that we need to have a faith-filled obedience, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And those things only come through faith in Christ alone. And then we are seeking to have a patient obedience as we wait for God to work, as we wait for Christ to act, we have to be patient in those things. Well, we're going to pick up in verses 16 through 17 this morning. And here we're going to see Peter call us to walk a careful journey. To walk a careful journey. Look at what he says in verse 16. I read, commenting on the fact that Paul writes to the wisdom given to him. He says, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. We're called to walk a careful journey. 
I'm sure you've recognized in different things and different things that you're doing in your life the need to be careful in doing certain things. I'm sure at some point you've been, called, you've been told to do something and someone says, be careful, or, or you've been involved in some activity and you realize the, the seriousness of the nature of what you're doing, you have to exercise special care in that. I remember oftentimes in my own life not being careful, but a failure to be careful. And oftentimes I think in our own lives that's what we tend to think of. It's not the times that we are careful that we think of. It's the times when we're not careful and we suffer the consequences of our lack of care. I remember at my in-law's house, I was up in their attic uh, and I was helping them move some stuff around. And it was just, you know, they had the, the, the joists up there in the attic and then there was just drywall there. And I remember my mother-in-law told me, please be careful when you're walking around up there that you stand on the joists and you don't step on the, you know, on the, the drywall. And I, let's just, I'll just put it this way. I did not step on the drywall. I put my knee through the drywall, Okay. And I did not exercise the necessary care. Now, my in-laws are very loving and kind people, and uh, I wasn't thrown out immediately from the house after doing that. But as a result of my lack of care, there's this, there was this big hole that was pushed into uh, my sister-in-law's bedroom. I will say that I have not been invited back up into the attic since that moment. But you see, at times, if we're not careful in things... We end up causing problems. We end up causing issues. And really, we often approach our, almost every aspect in our life with carelessness. But more importantly, my fear is that we often face and approach our Christian life, our life before the Lord, with carelessness. And this is exactly what Peter is pointing to. He is seeking to tell us a principle that is necessary for us as we walk as pilgrims on the earth. We must walk carefully as pilgrims. Now, this is something that Scripture commands throughout its writings. Again, as Peter is closing this letter by reminding us of these important principles, it's no wonder that he calls us to recognize the need to be careful. It's all over Scripture that we're called to be careful. In fact, the term that's sort of forming what we're looking at here in verse 17, this term, take care, it actually has the idea of standing watch or guarding it is calling us uh, to, to make sure that we're watching out for dangers in our lives. It's used of the shepherds in the field when the angels come and announce the birth of Christ. And this is a very well-known passage. There were shepherds in the field keeping what? Watch over their flock by night. They were being careful. They were taking care of that which had been entrusted them. This is a helpful illustration for us of what we are to be as we walk through our lives. We are to carefully shepherd our lives, being aware of and watching out for dangers. You know, what do you think of a shepherd who's asleep when the wolves come? He's not taking care of the flock, and it leads to disastrous issues. So it is with the Christian life. If we are not careful then we can be, as he's going to call us to, we can be carried away with the error of lawless people and lose our very stability. When we're not careful as Christians, we put ourselves in danger. We place ourselves in a place where we are prone to being devoured by our enemy who walks about seeking whom he may devour. Now this is something not uncommon to what Peter had talked about. In 1 Peter 1.10, he speaks of the salvation that the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was uh, to be yours searched and inquired. Notice how they did this carefully. 
And you know, we're going to begin a study in the last four books of the Old Testament once we finish 2 Peter. And, and I know some of you, I've had conversations with you, and you enjoy reading the prophets, and the prophets provide so much hope for us. In fact, the prophets are, outside of Psalms, the prophets are the most quoted group of Old Testament writers that we find in the New Testament. The prophets provide so much for us as God's people. How did they bring that about? How did God choose to bring that about through them? They had to look carefully. They inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so Peter points us back to the example of the prophets of old that were careful. And then he challenges us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be Watchful, same term, be careful. Why? Your adversary is prowling around like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. The devil loves it when we're careless in our walk with the Lord. The devil loves it when we don't keep a watch over our lives because that makes us prime, prime prey for him to devour us. Peter's exhortation flows, as I said, from an inconsistent message of Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Israel is about to begin the conquest. And as they're standing on the banks of the Jordan River, Moses, before, this is before he's died, before Joshua has taken charge of the armies of Israel, he wants to remind Israel of the covenant that they had made with the Lord. And so he gives them the law as a reminder. And so that's where we get the book Deuteronomy, which literally means second giving of the law. As he calls them to do this, as he does this work of reminding them, notice what he says as he sets out the tone for everything he's saying. He says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever... We call upon Him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? He calls them to remember and recognize who God is, recognize that He's a God who is near to His people, and that He's a God who speaks to His people. He's given them the law. He's given them righteous statutes. And this differentiates Israel from all the other nations. It makes them different from the world in which they're going. So, understanding this reality, what does He call them to do? He says, only what? Take care. It's interesting to me that, that He focuses on that almost to exclusion of anything else. Because really, if we don't begin with a careful walk, then everything else doesn't matter because we're not going to be careful in those things at all. Take care, Moses says. Keep, watch your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Unless they depart from your heart, all the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children. He's calling Israel to recognize that they're about to go into a nation that is nations that are filled with hatred for God, hatred for Israel, and are engaged in all forms of moral aberrations and terrible worship to other gods. He knows that there's going to be a pull on Israel to want to be like those nations. So how can they guard against that? They remind themselves of who God is, the God that has saved them, and then they remember that they remind themselves that they must take care. Now, if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know the story of Israel. How did Israel do with this charge? Terribly. Over and over again, we find them. And it's interesting. It's not that David or Solomon or the kings of Judah or of Israel, it's not that they ran towards sin. 
They fell into sin because they were careless. Joshua reminds them of this. In Joshua 1, 7 through 8, he calls them to be strong and very courageous, to be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be, what? Careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. What's amazing to note and and important for us to note about what Joshua says here is he tells us how we can be careful. The book of the law does not depart from our mouth. The book of the law, God's word is the thing we meditate. And how often do we meditate on it? Day and night. Let me ask you, do you in the daytime and in the nighttime think about God's word? Now, this is not just simply saying, I'm going to read it in the morning and read it at night. Meditate has the idea of careful consideration of an activity of your mind that continues so that, that it's constantly on your mind. There's really never a point in the believer's life, if they're truly being careful to live as the Lord has called them to live, that they're not thinking about what God has said. That you relate everything in your life to what God has revealed in His Word. This is what Joshua is calling us to do so that we can be careful. We mentioned that the kings of Israel would fall into sin because of carelessness. Jehu is a great example. Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. And so because he was not careful, what did that result in his life? He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. In those days, this is the result of not being careful, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. And here, here's, notice, notice the, the, the way that this works, the, the order in which these things work. Jehu failed to exercise care. As a result of that, he went with the sins of his father. His heart was turned away. And as a result of that, he caused Israel to sin. And so how does God respond to sin among his people? He disciplines them. And he disciplined them severely, beginning to chop up the nation of Israel through the conquests of other nations. What what began this slide? He wasn't what? Careful. Ezekiel indicts the entire nation this way. He says, I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Keep my Sabbath holy, that there may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules. By which if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath Upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. Jesus calls us to a careful walk, particularly in what we let our eyes be attracted to. In Luke chapter 11, 34 and 36, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of life. But when it is bad, Your body is full of what? Darkness. Then notice what he says. Therefore, be careful. And Jesus, who is the perfect preacher, plays this, it says this in such a clear way. Lest the light in you be darkness. You know, there are a lot of people who have claimed to be Christians, who have claimed to be a part of the light, yet because of their carelessness, because of their lack of taking watch over their souls, what ends up happening to them? The light 
that they think is in them is actually what? Darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part of the dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. In Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What's interesting here is Jesus calls us to be careful, not just in fooling ourselves that that our light is, is light rather than darkness, but he also calls us to recognize how easy it is for us to be pulled away by the cares and concerns of this world. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Obviously, we have a sibling argument going on here. I'm sure those of you who have siblings, you never argued with your brothers or sisters, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, when parents pass away, at times that can increase among adult children, increase the animosity as they bicker over who's getting what and who's getting who. And I'm getting grandma's silverware and I want this and I want that. And there's this, this, this conflict that comes. What's driving that? Greed. And so Jesus says to this man, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against how much covetousness? All covetousness. We have this tendency to want to say a little bit of covetousness is okay. And Jesus says you need to get rid of all covetousness. Because here's the reality. Does your life consist of the things that you have in your possessions? No. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus puts his finger right on the need to be careful. Now, now what's important to note here in both of these things, that we can fool ourselves into thinking our light is light when it's darkness, and we can see that some covetousness is okay, what, what's happening here is the own tendencies of our fallen hearts lead us away. And if we're not careful with our own attitudes, then we'll end up falling into sin. This is why Paul tells us to look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I tell you, one of the things that probably leads to a number of sinful thoughts, attitudes, actions, and deeds in the life of a Christian is that we're not careful with our time. This is what Paul is saying. Look carefully how you walk. How do you look carefully? We want to be wise, not unwise. What does wisdom tell us to do? The time that we have, we make the best use of it because the days that we live in are evil. Listen, We live in a world that tells us, make whatever use of the time you have, however you want to. It's your time. We live in a a country and a society that heralds leisure as the primary motive for living your life. And Jesus is saying, you need to be careful that you don't fall into that way of thinking. It's easy, isn't it? You're at the water cooler at work and people are talking about nothing. Who did what on what reality television show? Did you see the latest movie? Uh, What do you think of what's going on in politics? And And we run our mouths and we spend our times on things that don't matter. Why? Because we're not careful about what we do with our time. I think what we find in Paul's charge to Titus here is really important. He recounts to Titus the gospel. He says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace we might become heirs 
according to the hope of eternal life. That is the gospel in a couple verses. It speaks of the mercy and the grace of Christ, the work that He's done in forgiving us of our sins, His gift of the Holy Spirit, and the inheritance that awaits us. It is in the entire gospel encapsulated. And so Paul goes on and he says, This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, those who have accepted that gospel, what must they do? Be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So we did a little survey here from Old Testament to New Testament. Does Scripture command a careful walk? Yes. Israel and the church are both commanded to walk with care. And so Peter picks up on that here again in 17. Take care. This is a basic principle of the Christian life. Yet my fear is that this is one of the most neglected principles of Christianity. We approach our walk with Christ almost as a hobby rather than the thing that defines our very lives. Peter's providing us with these essential principles and a careful walk is essential. And so my challenge to you is what level of care are you exercising in your walk with the Lord? Are you careful to read, meditate, and apply God's Word daily? Or is it something that, oh, if I get time, I'll take care of it? How careful are you to avoid temptation? Or do you let your guard down and let yourself get pulled into circumstances that lead you to sin? You ever end up someplace and and you're like, man, I really shouldn't be here. And you look back and you see how you ended up there is because you were careless. How careful are you with your thoughts? What do you let your mind think about and run to on a daily basis? Your attitudes, your emotions, your desires, the entirety of who you are, do you guard those things? Are you careful with them? Are you like those shepherds in the field, keeping watch over your own soul? Or do you just sort of stumble through life haphazardly. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I come to church on Sundays. Yes, I do this. Yes, I do that. But the rest of your life, you don't exercise the necessary care. Are you taking care as you walk the path of a pilgrim? So Scripture commands a careful walk. But Peter here focuses in particular on what area of the Christian walk we need to take care. And that is our second point. A careful walk rejects error. A careful walk rejects error. If you remember in chapter 2, Peter, Peter, Peter warns that there are going to be false teachers that are going to rise up from where? Are they going to come from outside? No, they're going to rise up from within the church. So if, if we are recognizing that in, God's, in the people that claim to be God's people, in the church, you're going to have those that are genuinely following Him and you're going to have those that are false teachers, then what must you do as you hear their conversations, as you interact with them, as you hear their teaching? You have to be what? Careful. You have to be careful that you're not carried away with these errors. Jesus tells us that there are tares in with the wheat. And you have to be very careful when you're separating those things out because they look almost identical. The only way you can tell the difference is if you look very carefully at them. This is exactly what Peter is calling us to do. Now, he gives us two particular traits that help us to identify false teachers. The first is that they twist Scripture, and the second is that they are lawless. 
So, so as we're taking care to listen to and, and, and be careful about those that are teaching us, there are two ways that we can look at them and determine whether or not they are genuine Christ-honoring teachers. And the first is that they twist Scripture. Look again in verse 16. Now, Peter here speaks of, as he's, talking about, as he's talked about Paul calling us to be patient as we wait for our salvation, he says, as he does in his, all his letters when he speaks of them. And then he makes this wonderful admission. I love that Peter makes this admission in Scripture because I'm like, amen to this verse. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Yes, <laughs> Paul, it can be exceedingly difficult to understand at times. Have you ever read some of Paul's letters and come away with a sense of like, I just don't really understand what he's saying here. If you've read the book of Romans, there are things in the book of Romans, and it is a glorious book that teaches wonderful truths about what the gospel is, but there are some things I'm still scratching my head trying to fully comprehend. If you read 1 Corinthians, he, he goes and talks about things and, and he says that we're doing these things because of the angels. And you're like, what are you talking about? There are things that Paul says that are hard to understand. But it's important to note what he is not saying here. He is not saying that what Paul writes is unintelligible. He's not saying that Paul's writings are beyond our ability to comprehend or to know them. Yes, they may be hard, but if something is hard, then what must we do as we approach it? We have to be careful with it. We have to exert extra effort in those things that are hard that Paul has said. And that's why he calls us to take care. Just because something is hard to understand, it does not mean that it is beyond our understanding. So let us not think by any way, shape, or form here that, that what Peter is saying is that we need to sort of throw out the harder things that Paul says. I've, I've encountered people that have that idea. You, you, you read what Paul says about predestination. You read what Paul says about, about certain aspects of the Christian life, and people are like, well, that, you know, that's really hard to understand, so I don't want to deal with it. That's not what Peter is saying. He's not trying to, if for lack of a better word, poo-poo what Paul is saying. Rather, he's calling us to recognize Paul says some hard things, so that means we need to exert more effort and care so that we get it right. Because there are people, notice what he says in verse 16, there are people who are ignorant and unstable who twist what Paul says to their own destruction as they go about twisting the rest of Scripture. False teachers will take what Paul has written, they will take single verses, and they will pull them out of context and twist them to make it say what they want it to say. Now why do they do this? And Paul or Peter points to two reasons why they do this. They do it because they are um, ignorant and unstable. The term ignorant there means untrained. These false teachers take Scripture and because they lack the proper discipline and training in Scripture and interpreting it, they end up twisting it. They're untrained in understanding God's Word. Now, the Word of God, we, we believe in, in, a, in a doctrine called the perspicuity of Scripture. That's your... That's your $100,000 word for the day, all right? Perspicuity just means clarity, all right? And what that means is anybody can read Scripture and can gain and, and know the truth of what God has for it. So what I'm, what I'm speaking of here is not in any way, shape, or form meant to say that you have to go to Bible school. You have to go to seminary to know God's Word. But you still, every single one of us, we should engage ourselves in study, of God's Word. We can't just approach it haphazardly. We should seek to always be improving our abilities in understanding God's Word. Because if we don't, if we come to God's Word from a perspective of ignorance, of being untrained, then it's going to be very easy for us looking at God's Word to twist it to make it say whatever we want. This is throughout Scripture as well. Ezra Ezra set his heart to do what? 
Not just to read the law of the Lord, but to what? To study it. And to do it. And to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Paul charges Timothy, do your best to present yourself as, to God as a one approved, a worker who needs, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. When Paul tells Timothy that he must rightly handle the word of truth, what does that imply? That you can wrongly handle the word of truth. Now, we have to keep this in mind in our day and age because our day and age says, oh, you can read the Bible and whatever it means to you, that's what it means to you. You live your truth. And that is not what Paul commends to Timothy, who's pastoring a church. You need to rightly understand the truth. And so there's a level of training that Timothy had so that he was able to, to do this. This is why James says that not many of you should become teachers. Because teachers are going to be judged more strictly than the rest of the believers. Let me tell you, that verse, that's one of those verses I'm like, I wish this wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> but yet it's true. As I stand before you and I expound the Word of God, I recognize that God is going to hold me accountable for how I rightly divide, rightly explain His Word. And this is why in Scripture, this isn't, in, this isn't James, this is uh, 1 Timothy 3.2, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now here's where Peter is warning his readers. There are going to be people who are going to come up and they're going to be untrained. They're going to take that doctrine that Scripture is clear. Maybe they'll even know the $100,000 word, the perspicuity of Scripture. And they're going to come in and they're going to use that as a reason for them. Well, everybody can interpret God's Word. Everyone's an interpreter. So I'm going to interpret it. And they're going to take God's Word and without proper training without understanding the principles of how we approach God's Word. They're going to grab a verse and they're going to pull it out of its context. And just a, a quick little lesson on interpreting God's Word. Probably one of, the most, one of the best things you can remember as you read God's Word is you have to read it in context. And what we often find is that false teaching takes verses doesn't read you what's before the verse or after the verse, doesn't seek to understand that verse in connection with the entire book that's being written there, but they'll pull out a verse and they'll twist it to make it say whatever they want to. That's what false teachers do. And they will say, I'm biblical. No, you're not. Because you're not rightly dividing God's Word. False teachers often have the approach that there's a story I've told, I'm sure you've heard it before, about this guy who, who wanted to, to know what God's will was for him. So he, he's like, I'm just going to open up the Bible and let it fall wherever it wants to. And I'm going to put my finger on the page, and that verse is what I'm going to read. So he opens it up, puts his finger on the page, and the Bible says, and Judas went and hanged himself. That, that's not a good one. So he closes it, like, let's try this again. Closes it up, pull, opens it up, and puts his finger on another verse, and it says, go thou and do likewise. Oh, boy. Closes it up. Let's try one more time. Third time's a charm, right? Closes it up, puts his finger on the verse and says, what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> now, now, what's the problem with that? He's not understanding those verses in their what? Context. To understand that they're written to people in a certain time, in a certain perspective, and, and, and dealing with certain things. Yet false teachers do that same thing. They'll grab a verse and pull it out of context. And more particularly, they'll pull it out of context from the rest of what Scripture has to say. They don't compare Scripture with Scripture. And as a result, they lead people into all sorts of error. And so those who have not pursued careful instruction and training and understanding God's Word, when confronted with the hard things of Scripture, they'll twist them to fit their own desires and passions. And what they do, these people are ignorant. That ignorance leads them to being unstable. 
Scripture is the great foundation of the Christian life, not because the book itself is somehow amazing, but because of who the book points us to and that there is no other foundation that is laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. How do I know who Jesus is? I go to the Word. When I begin to adjust, to twist, to distort the Word, then what I come out of from that experience is a vision of Christ that isn't real. When I take and modify God's Word to fit my own desires and passions, then I'm not seeing who Jesus is. You know who I'm seeing? Myself. And I'm using Scripture to justify my sinfulness. Which leads us then to the next thing that he speaks of. In verse 17, he speaks of these people as those that are lawless people. The end of their twisting, the end of their ignorance, the end of their instability is that they live without any type of obedience to God's Word. Remember, what was the first principle we talked about? Careful or... or, or, um, uh, having, having clear obedience, eager obedience to God's Word. Well, what do we do when we have a believer, someone who claims to know Christ, but they're now beginning to reject that aspect of obedience? We need to be careful that we don't listen to them. Now, now here's, here's where I'm going to step on some toes a little bit. Here's where we let this slip into our own thinking. Have you ever thought to yourself, I know Scripture says X, but I think. And then you say something that's completely in disagreement with God's Word. Have you ever done that? You know what you're not exercising when you have that thought into your mind? You're not being careful. And as a result... You will start to look at God's Word and seek to find reasons to give permission for your sinful actions. This is what we have going on today in the way that there, are, there is a movement among the LGBTQ community to make this a Christian thing, that it's okay to be involved in all sorts of sexual perversion and sexual promiscuity, even when God's Word clearly forbids it, yet what they've done is they've twisted the meaning of these words to try to make inclusion for these things. And so what they end up doing is they reject that which God's law clearly says is wrong. Now, there, there are people who will argue and will say, well, why are you making such a big deal of this? And shouldn't you be compassionate to these people? Absolutely. But I'm not going to allow people to twist God's word to allow for lawlessness. That's wrong. And we live in a world today that seeks to do that, not just with sexual ethics, but with about everything else in our world. And that they still want to hold on to some semblance of Christianity. So they twist the word of God to give permission for their sinful actions. And then (laughs) Peter speaks of the, the terrible consequences of this If we are carried away with the error of lawless people, what will we lose? Our own stability. And so while we're commanded in Scripture to have a careful walk, while a careful walk rejects error, finally, a careful walk seeks stability. Peter is issuing these warnings because he fears that if we are not careful with who we listen to or how we approach Scripture, we will be unstable. So being careful to not be carried away is important because the entire foundation, if it crumbles, then what happens to your footing? You fall. How can we be stable? Very quickly, we begin by seeking stability in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know what the, particularly in the early church, but even to this day, these issues continue today. You know what one of the first areas of Christian 
theology that was attacked by false teachers. It was who Jesus is. It sought to denigrate the very fact of who Christ is and what He had accomplished. If you go after that, you're going after the entire foundation of the Christian faith. And so we need to remember that we need to recognize and find our hope in Christ and who He is. He is fully God incarnate. He is the one who is sinless. He is the one who has authority and power to tell us what to do and to enable us to live for Him. When the foundation is gutted of meaning, then the thing that rests upon it will fall. We can see this happening today, particularly in mainline denominations. There's been, if you read any of the the stuff about what's going on in religion in America, there's been this constant fear and concern and hand-wringing over the United Methodist Church and, and the, the United Presbyterian Church and, and these, these bigger mainline denominations that dominated for many times American society, and they're shutting down. They're closing. Now, the, the question is, because just because a church closes or just because a church gets smaller, that's not necessarily an indication of unhealthy doctrine. Because oftentimes you can stand for what's right and the world's not going to want to hear that. So we shouldn't be surprised that people aren't banging on the doors to come in and be told that they're wrong in their sin and they need to turn to Christ. The world's not going to like that. However, you can trace back the decline of these bigger organizations in American society to the fact that they began to adjust their views on Scripture and Christ. They denied that the Word was inspired. They denied that it was written by God. And then they began to speak of Christ not so much as the sinless Son of God who came to save the world, but as a great moral teacher who provides a great example for us. And today, we find those things crumbling. So how do we keep stability? How do we make sure we're careful not to have a wrong foundation. We seek to know the Christ of Scripture, which means then that we seek stability in the Word. Peter spoke of this in the first chapter of Second Peter. We have the prophetic Word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from who? From God. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This book is not the product of men's writings. This is not ancient Bronze Age thinking. This is the eternal Word of God. And it is the thing that will provide stability for us. And then the final thing that we are to seek stability in is we are to speak, seek stability in the church. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. 1 Timothy 3.15, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, all right? And what is the church? It's the church of the living God, and it is a pillar and buttress of the truth. It's amazing that God has designed us to walk as pilgrims, not alone, but together. And so, when we find ourselves being pulled away, when we find ourselves listening to the voices of the false teachers, when we find ourselves not being careful, coming and joining and fellowshipping and hearing from God's Word among God's people, it provides stability for us, a buttress of truth, a pillar of truth, a hope in which we can look to each other, not some institution, not some organization, but to the church of God, which is not a building, which is not an organization. It is the people of God filled with the Spirit. And that gives us stability in the darkness of this world. You're able to come. You're able to ask the leadership 
I heard this. What do you think of that? And come to me and say, Pastor, so-and-so was preaching this. What do you think of that? You can come and talk to each other. You can, you know, and if you have just regular conversations with people, your, your thinking will begin to become very apparent to them. And we have, the, we have the responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to exhort each other to stay with the truth. If we neglect these foundations, Christ, the Word, and the church, we can easily be led astray by the error of lawless people and thereby lose our stability. I think one of the most dangerous things you can do as a Christian is watch the Christian channel. I've said this before here, but I think it's important to note because there you have and not that everything on our local Christian channel is, is bad. And actually, although I now don't have access to that channel, we changed some things at home, but before then I'd seen some, some movement to some better stuff on there. But there still was a, a hodgepodge of, of error. And see, th- this is how we end up not being careful. All right? This is how our, our lack of care leads us into these errors. You wake up on a Sunday morning. It's a rainy Sunday morning. You don't want to go out. Maybe I'll just turn on the television and see what so-and-so is teaching. And so, because you failed to exercise care and just look at whatever's being given to you on the tube, you begin to hear things that are clearly against what God's Word says. And maybe you're like, that's different. I never thought about that next, that, that way. I'll ask pastor about that next Sunday. Next Sunday, instead of rain, it snows. It's coming, all right? The snow's coming. Hopefully not next week, but oh, I'm not going to make it. You turn on the same guy again. And because you're not exercising care, because you're not looking to be among God's people and to have the Word influencing you, pointing you to Christ, you very quickly fall into error. Oh, that church down there, they're, they're too biblical. They're too Bible-based. And you begin to lose your own stability. And the next thing you know, you're walking through life and you don't really even think about Christ in relation to your everyday walk. What began the dominoes? You weren't what? Careful. So we need to be careful as pilgrims. Are you carefully walking the path of a pilgrim? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the challenge that it gives us. Lord, may we not be haphazard or nonchalant in our walk with you, but may we be careful. May we take up the charge of Moses, of Joshua, of Ezekiel, of Paul, and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be careful. Father, take your word and by your spirit, apply it to hearts and lives here today. We pray this in Christ's name.